Hello and welcome to episode 95 of the Arena Regulars podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm Jeff. And we're your source for drunken Magic the Gathering Arena content. That's right. Just a couple of regular dudes drinking some irregular beers and talking about Magic the Gathering, in particular, the online client MTG Arena. And we are talking about the 30th anniversary of Magic. There was a huge event this last weekend, Magic 30, including the 28th World Championship. Uh, so if you missed everything that happened this weekend, we know some of the things, and we weren't even there. So uh, l- <laughs> listen to us tell you about it. Uh, but first, each week we both bring a beer. We drink Jeff's, then drink mine, rate them on a scale of bronze to mythic, and choose the best for last. So with that, Jeff, what's on tap? All right, this week I have another offering from Mascot Brewery in Toronto, and it is called Chocolate Daddy. Uh, so we are actually recording this on Halloween, so we felt the dark stout would be the best option the halloweeniest if you mm-hmm. if you will this is a full-bodied belgian stout that is brewed with chocolate malt and ethiopian cold brew so i didn't know when i when i had it until i read the can that there'd be coffee in this because it's called chocolate daddy <laughs> uh, apparently there's cold brew in this there definitely is It'll be up all night now yeah Thanks a lot, mascot. Just kidding. Um, uh, but it is 7.5%, so we will probably... Uh, that'll that'll lull us to sleep, I think. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we have some magic news. So as I said, Magic 30 was this last weekend, and there is a lot to talk about, including the 28th Magic World Championship, which was quite a roller coaster. Jeez. A um, lot of yeah. stuff. Ups and downs, tears, lots of tears, and uh, we have our reigning champion, which we'll get to in a moment, uh, but we won't spoil the spoil that. Everyone should know, hopefully, but... Uh, <laughs> Pre-spoil and, the yeah. future spoiler. Whatever. Uh, before we get to that, Jeff, um, I just want to say I'm sorry to you and to everyone. <sighs> Thank uh, you. Yeah. Uh, uh, what for? I fucked up, uh, like I do. Um so there's an Rita open this weekend, I believe, and uh, I had told you previously that it was a Dominaria United Sealed. It's not. It's not. Um, cool. It's just regular Dominaria. <laughs> uh, that's set from a while ago. Uh, it makes it makes a little bit more sense now. Before we were thinking, oh, that's an interesting way to close out a set right before the new one. Um, no, no, it's just more Dominaria action. So. <laughs> Yeah, I went on a whole thing about that, so to just look like an idiot, but that's cool. No, well, I think our reasoning for what we thought made sense, and that was nice. Um, I just thought when they wrote Dominaria, they meant to say Dominaria United, so that's my bad for reading yeah, that wrong. Brain just, like, auto-corrected it. Why yeah. would they play a format that's that old? Yeah, well, whatever. Um, yeah, also, we have a ton of Brothers War spoilers that came out this whole weekend, and will continue to come out this next week. Uh, so we'll probably talk about a couple of the spicy ones that we've seen so far at the end of this episode. Oh, that's not even it. We have more things to talk about. Jeez, this was a crazy week. Um, so we have the pre-release bundles are coming out for the Brothers War. You can be Mishra or Urza, get your little pack or whatever. But they have introduced something new to us in the Mishra bundle that comes with all the 50 packs that you know and love. 
it will also come with five extra golden packs. Now, Jeff, have you heard of a golden pack before? Do you know what this is? I have not mm. until you explained it to me right before we started the show. Perfect. Great. Let me explain it to you again. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, in the past, uh, Watsi made up the Mythic pack, which is like a slightly more expensive pack at the store. There you can only get Mythic uh, rares out of. Um, so apparently this is their solution to those not going so well. I don't think people really like those. Mm -hmm. So this is a golden pack. It includes five cards. Uh, sorry, that's a lie. It, it includes six cards. And uh, each card is a rare or mythic uh, from a standard legal set. So um, uh, two of the cards are going to be from the Brothers War, and I think the rest are just anywhere in, in standard cards. They are uh, duplicate protected, and if you have all of the rares from a certain set, it will not give you gems. So that's a good thing. The other thing about this is that you, you don't buy them. It's not something that you just go into store and buy. You're gonna have a golden pack wheel like we have with our wild cards. So I think it's like every six packs that you buy, you get one golden pack. So it's just like an extra thing for buying packs straight from the store which we normally tell you not to do. It just, if you listen to our episode about uh, Arena yeah. Economy and new player guide, we tell you don't buy packs straight from the store. Jeff, how do you feel now? Yeah, I mean, you should think about how they're able to do this. Like, how much were they screwing us before that they could give us a bunch of free rares uh, just for buying packs from, like, how bad of a deal is it to buy packs from the store if they could do that and still think that it's super profitable like enough to actually want to incentivize us to do it i don't think this is good enough for me personally it doesn't it doesn't even come close to like outweighing the benefits of using my gems on drafting um if you're a person that just doesn't like to draft and you need to build your collection and i don't know even then you should probably just play like constructed events but you need to start your collection i guess so if you're starting your collection this is an extra little boost for you mm -hmm. if you're if you're in the like category of just starting my collection or my standard collection and i hate drafting or don't want to spend the time that it would take to build the collection that way then this is good news for you because it's sort of gravy right you were probably going to buy packs anyways um to me this isn't enough though to ever swing the decision over from okay, now buying packs makes more sense than drafting. Yeah. I agree with everything that you just said. I'm waiting for other people to do it. Probably Saffron Olive will buy a bunch because he always does, and he'll tell us what he thinks about <laughs> it. Uh, I'm not necessarily... Like, I'm not already the player that buys a bunch of packs from the store, but if you are one of those players, this is great for you because, like Jeff said, yeah. it's just extra. So there you go. I think a big bummer is, like, the no wild cards thing. Like, mm -hmm. it, It'd be cool if I could just get wild cards, maybe at least at a lower drop rate or something. But just the idea that I'll never get wild cards out of this is always like, I'm just going to get some like jank rare that I didn't bother to collect from two sets ago. Like, <laughs> I don't want that. <laughs> maybe it goes with their, um, I don't know if we talked about this on the show, but they did add a like collection thing on your profile. So mm -hmm. if you go to like your profile on your arena account, they actually will now track how many cards of each uh, set that you're sorry. Yeah. Each card that you have of a certain set um, to show you if you have completed a set or not, which 
is crazy to me that it took him this long to make that because that just incentivizes people to want to complete sets so that they can see it completely finished because that's like the video game player in us wants yeah. to do that. Yeah. Um, so, and I think immediately a ton of people online blew all their wild cards just trying to complete sets just so it looked good. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> hey, Classic. If, if that's your goal, this might be a good way to do that. I don't know. Whoever came up with that idea got promoted real fast. I, I just can't believe it took him that long. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty obvious idea. Every other game does it. Right? <laughs> and it's like people were using um, Untapped and like all these other, um, I don't know, plugins, like th- third-party plugins to track that for them. And after that, I was like, huh, maybe I don't need some of this other stuff as much. I kind of... I, I like having it in-game. So the next thing we need is them totally. to track our win percentages for the ranked seasons, but whatever. Um, that just sounds crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it actually makes sense to me. Maybe this is a product that's more aimed at collectors. Like, this is a way for you to get your, you know, it's like a garbage rare, Ivy Gleeful Spell Thief, <laughs> without actually having to, like, spend a wild card on it or take it in a draft, you know? <laughs> Fine, I understand. Um <laughs> I think it's really helpful for like those like shitty mythics that you're like, ah, it, it, I have three of them. I don't want to spend a mythic wild card on the fourth one, but it will help me finish my yeah. thing. So this might be a good way to do that. Someone will be like Omnixilis or something. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That shit card. What a piece of trash. Um, yeah. Moral of the story. Uh, if you weren't buying packs before, this probably shouldn't change your mind. Yeah. Uh, I, I am wondering, so this is Watsy's new thing, right? So they made the Magic 30 Anniversary Edition uh, that is a way to um, have this product that's really expensive. So it's, you know, what we talked about in another episode is like $1,000 for four packs. They were giving these away, not to just, like I gave, they gave some to Hunter Pence and like Cassius Marsh and like people that have a ton of money. But a lot of people yeah, at Magic, people. yeah. But a lot of people at Magic Thirty were just being kind of gifted these packs for different prizes that they had won, or like there were a lot of people that had them and opened them. Now there's people that bought them, which is great for them. But I did see a lot of people be like, "Hey, thanks, Wizards, for giving me this free thing," or that were just like kind of regular Joe Schmoes that weren't necessarily like content creators. Mm-hmm. So it was part of that thing I was talking about earlier, where it's like. Every store is getting at least one, and then big LGSs are getting three of those boxes. And they were giving them out, being like, hey, we said this is really, really expensive, so when I give you one for free, it seems really, really good, even though all the cards are fake. Um, It just seems smart. This is what I would want them to do with this product. Mm -hmm. Instead of trying to make a bunch of money off of it, they're giving a lot of it away. Now they are making money off of it, obviously, because... People still want it and are buying it, but um, I'm glad that we're giving them away. I don't know. It's nice when people give stuff away. Even if I was gifted yeah. one, I don't know if I'd open it, but... Oh, I wouldn't. Definitely not. I would still have <laughs> the... I don't actually want the contents, and I feel like opening it makes them... Probably what you're going to open is going to be less valuable than just reselling the pack. So there's that, but... Whatever. So that's why they're a thousand bucks, so that you feel special when you get a free one. Exactly. So you're like, sick, this pack like feasibly costs two hundred fifty dollars. They gave it to me for nothing or for winning this commander pod. Sick. You know. Uh that's the kind of thing. I don't know if that's how don't quote me on that. I don't know if that's how people got them. Please 
because you'll be upset. Um, but I'm wondering if that's kind of this idea with these golden packs, which seem really great and you can't buy them. And if you buy a bunch of stuff, you get them. Um, these are actually worth cards. Like they actually give you real cards you can play with. So that's better. Um, yeah, but I guess to some people's <laughs> eyes, arena cards aren't real anyway. So <laughs> true. Yeah. So if you're not going to play arena, these are worthless. So, uh, so maybe they'll give them away for certain things. Who knows? Um, so I guess all the talk about nobody's going to buy these because they're too expensive was maybe a little uh, incorrect, eh? Uh, yes, very much so. Uh, they were <laughs> almost every shop I had seen on Twitter was saying that they don't have any packs left. Um, mm-hmm. All of them are gone. There's somebody that posted a picture of them. They spent $6,000 and were holding all of the packs and they were so excited. <laughs> But I've also saw that there are a lot of people trying to sell the contents of it afterwards. And there are many more sellers than buyers of the individual cards. However, they also were talking about how magic players tend to be a black hole of cards that just never sell anything. And they just swallow everything whole and then just sit on it. But not even just because they, or sorry, not for any reason, but literally just because they just don't sell cards. They just have them and they want them. We're all little right. uh, greedy goblins or dragons trying to hoard our things. So, Hey, man, I find it tough to sell my cards. I'm always like, what if I need it? Yeah, <laughs> I have recently sold a lot of cards, so I'm trying to rid myself from that feeling. But uh, Yeah, well, I just used that money to buy more cards, so what are you going to do? That's why Arena is great. I can't sell my cards. Yeah, so. exactly. I, don't, I never have that feeling. I'm like, sweet. We're dusting here. Nope, I'm just going to have this forever. I don't have to worry about if yeah. some random junk rare I got from a golden pack a while ago ends up being important. Uh, I have it still, so that's great. I just uh, mm-hmm. searched through my collection very quickly and easily, by the way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no sorting needed. Oh, uh, Jeff. Um, so there's been a ton of news. We'll probably come up with more news as we're talking, but uh, let's talk about mm-hmm. the World Championship because this tournament was great. I yeah, I got to watch quite a bit of it, um, kind of just while I was working. But uh, did you get to tune in uh, a bit? I did. So I was able to catch a lot of Friday's action, um, do the thing I often do where I like watch the VOD later on after you know my family went to bed or whatever. I uh, didn't really get to watch as much of Saturday, just like a couple matches. But yeah, so that means in the end I watched like all of the limited and then a bunch of the, all the first sort of standard rounds Mm -hmm. or many of those, which, you know, if I could have picked and chosen anything to watch, I might've watched more Explorer and less standard, but, um, standard wasn't as like tough to watch as I thought. Like the, there were a lot of Esper mirror matches, obviously it was like 60% of the field, um, but it was kind of fun to root against Esper. Like, whoever wasn't the Esper deck, you're like, yeah. It was, especially, so, um, right away, let's just talk about uh, Draft, because it's the first thing, and we both had uh, watched that. With the drafting, we did get to watch somebody draft, which is something I was worried about last week. Um, I wasn't 100% sure, but we did get to do that. And uh, it was uh, Mike Sigrist, which ended up being sort of a funny choice. Yeah. Right? Uh, that, yeah. Um, 
<laughs> but well, uh, we of course have everything's in pod. So this is something that we don't get to see a lot as arena players because we don't draft in pod. Well, Jeff, do you want to explain exactly what that means? Because uh, I think you might do a better job. Yeah, it's, so it's fairly simple. So if you were to like jump into an arena draft, you, there would be eight people because to do a draft, you need eight people. Playing in pod means that you would only play against the eight people that you drafted with. Whereas on Arena, of course, you're matched against just anyone who was draft. They drafted with completely different people than you, and you just play against each other. The idea of in this is sort of how it always was, by the way. Like Arena sort of changed the the game, so now drafting in pod is like the weird thing. But it used to be that's what you did, and any tournaments that were run without of pod drafting were like not pure. They were like incorrect because um, the idea is that you know. You don't want one table opens up awesome cards and then those eight guys, those eight, eight players just like pommel the eight players who open shitty packs <laughs> at the mm-hmm. next table. So you control for like the overall quality of cards opened uh, by playing in pod. And so for the world championship, it makes sense. Um, just reduce the variance a little bit uh, by playing in pod. Yeah. Uh, it's also great because that gives more interest in like. This doesn't come up very often, but uh, not wanting to pass really uh, great cards to the people next to you or knowing that if you pass right. a really good card to them, you have to keep track of what that was, uh, remembering which cards you've seen and which ones didn't come back around to you, uh, wondering who's next to you and, and trying to cut colors and different things like that can be part of it. I think Nathan actually did that. Um, they were saying like he just had an awesome deck and there was uh, the Dragon War or something. Mm-hmm. So he took it even though he wasn't red, uh, because he knew that that's like the way he loses is some bomb. Yeah. Because his deck is so good. Yeah, especially that bomb. Um, so, Jeff, right. uh, we talked a bit about draft last week, and you had a very... Uh, well, you, you picked something specific you thought uh, would, would do well. Um, yeah. do, you think, do you think he made it? Yes, I was so happy. I was like watching the draft portion. I'm like, I can't believe it's going to happen in the pod we're watching. That's amazing. Uh, so I predicted that somebody would be the only red white drafter at the table and they would ease like 3 0 their pod. And of course, Tristan Wild LaRue did that. Thank you, Tristan. Um, he had a, what I consider like a fine red white deck, but it was actually missing some of the key components that I usually look for, mm-hmm. namely the mass pump spell. It <laughs> actually didn't have one. Um, but that was super fun because I got to root for Tristan because I was like, I predicted someone would 3-0 with red-white, and you're at 2-0 with red-white. Like, come on. <laughs> well, it's funny because I was yeah. doing the obviously the exact opposite. I was rooting against him because <laughs> you said that specifically. Yeah. <laughs> um, but overall, of all four, because because they're playing in pod, you are going to have four undefeated players who won the, the pod. Um, mm-hmm. And three of the four players are playing very aggressive uh, or like, yeah, low to the ground white decks. And one of them was red, white, just like you were saying. And the last one was more of the um, bunch of colors play the good stuff that you have with a bunch of different land types. But for the most part... Yeah. Julian Wellman, uh, Tristan Wilderoo, Johnny Gutman, and Nathan Stoyer were, uh, th- those are the players that were uh, 3-0, and but um, like a yeah. low-to-the-ground white deck that splashes blue by Julian, and then a, a red-black, or sorry, a white-black deck that uh, Nathan Stoyer was playing. 
What I wanted to say mm-hmm. about Tristan, actually, that you were picking up was it was pretty interesting because we got to watch all his games. Or not all of them, but, mm-hmm. but uh, a good chunk of them. That he... Uh, most of the cards he was leaning on to get him through to, to the finish line were, were his, like, card draw spells. So we had Goblin Picker and Sprouting Goblin. Or, yeah, th- those are the ones that he was leaning on quite heavily to make sure he could make it through the late game. And some of yeah. the... Well, that's the, the main thing that I was thinking about that I normally don't see as often. And like you were saying, I was waiting. I was, like, surprised he didn't have this, like you know, mass pump spell that we're so used to um, in his deck because that seems to be the one that that's how you win. And his way was like, well, I'm going to go a little bit slower and draw more cards and keep on par with the card advantage that these other decks are trying to to do. And there were some really, really close games. Even the last... Oh, great game. The last game he played (laughs) to like go 3-0 was a nail-biter. Down to the last yeah. play of the game, that was crazy. Uh, it was amazing. <laughs> um, and his sort of replacement for not having, because basically the way the red white deck functions is you get out, you just curve out. Suddenly your opponent's at like eight, and you start being like, wait, are they dead? Because you have this I win button with the pump, mass pump spell. Because Tristan didn't have that, I assume, I don't think we watched him draft, but I assume he had to take something else over it, and then it didn't wheel. It's basically, that's how this happens. Mm-hmm. In lieu of that, he was relying on Stall for Time, which has sort of a similar effect of being able to punch through those final points of damage. It taps two blockers, for those of you that don't remember what that card does. Um, and he had two of them, and they were clutch in every game that he played, but he had to be able to, like, like you said, go longer because he didn't have those oops, I win buttons that the red-white deck normally relies on to, like, get those last five to eight points of damage through. Yeah. And he was also playing the Weatherlight completed so that he'd be able to have this kind of looming threat on the side as you're trading one-for-one with your opponent in combat. Um, As you're attacking in, you have this creature that's getting closer and closer to activating and becoming this huge threat. Uh, I did like his sideboard plan, like you were saying, with this stall for times and just playing basics. There's a lot more splashing with yep. basics than I was expecting, and it was crazy. I was like, oh, shit. They're, they're, oh, yeah. The island out of the red-white aggro deck? Yeah. Love it. It's, it's so good. <laughs> um, but, yeah, the last game he was playing to go 3-0, he makes an attack and is holding up Destroy Evil mm. that his opponent could have known about but basically he has his um like five five trampler the the red one and they can block in a certain way where they won't die but if they block with their root walla and pump it so it becomes a six six he can destroy evil it and then trample over for the rest of the damage but if his opponent does not pump it he can't win and so it's this moment of like is he gonna pump it what's gonna happen it was so stressful. Yeah. And and he lines up a few blocks, reconsiders, mm-hmm. lines up another block, reconsiders, and then just blocks with the root wall. And then it's like, if he doesn't pump, he's not going to die. If he just lets the root wall get trampled, he'll go to one. So if he pumps, he loses the game. And then you see him 
pump and you're like yeah and you're like no i was like no what are you doing because like the commentators are being like i'm pretty sure he's not gonna well i think it was split between like paul and um marshall being like marshall's like i don't know if he sees it and paul's like i'm pretty sure he's gonna do the thing that makes the game keep going um and it (laughs) turned out that he wasn't playing against destroy evil and oh man it was crazy the thing that i had noticed is that um they had made several blocks in earlier in the match that were really bad against Destroy Evil. Like mm-hmm. they were lining up multiple blocks that wouldn't work if, if Tristan killed the four toughness creature in the block. And so they would have lost, they would have been like three for one to mm-hmm. Destroy Evil. That had happened a few times in the match. So I think his opponent, um, my guess is that his opponent maybe even thought that Tristan sided it out. I'm not sure why you would um, think that because you have big creatures, but mm-hmm. he had made a conscious decision not to really to p- choose to play around pump spells rather than destroy evil. Mm-hmm. And so when this one, when Tristan actually finally drew destroy evil, I was like fairly confident that uh, the it was going to get him the win because his opponent had just sort of made the decision that. Yeah. If you have destroy evil, you have destroy evil. I can't play around everything, and that's the one I'm choosing to ignore yeah because he was worried about furious bellow that was also in his deck um that could have been the thing that uh would have trampled over the rest of the damage if he didn't pump it but you can always right pump it after anyway oh geez it was it was really good it's always fun to see limited on a really um high level stage uh just once again to show you that uh hey magic's super hard and there are ways you can play your cards that you didn't even realize because I know a lot of people like to say, oh, just the draft portion is the most exciting and the games aren't uh, fun to watch. But uh, no, they are. They're pretty fun to watch. <laughs> well, and the last thing I want to bring up about the draft portion is we have to shout out Team Handshake here. So Team Handshake is a team of players. I think there were eight of them on mm-hmm. the team. And s- similarly, there are eight players who are going to be 2-0 after the first two rounds, the way pods work. You play against people with the same record. So every pod will have, all four pods each have two players at 2-0. One of them goes to 3-0. And Team Handshake had seven of their of those eight players were from Team Handshake. So they clearly had figured out this limited format. And they came to play. And I believe all four 3-0s were from Team Handshake. I think so. Because there was eight of them. So how they tested is... Um... Because there's eight of them, they can draft all together. But then their constructed testing, where they split the team in half. Because eight is such a large percentage of the field. So then there is like Mm -hmm. uh, two different versions of the... They're all team handshake, but they had split to do their constructed, uh, their standard and explorer uh, testing. So they did come with... uh, Some of them came with different decks because that was on purpose, obviously. But being able to have eight people on your team to be able to draft together is... Awesome. It's the right number. Yeah, it's the right number. It really is. So uh, um, so Jeff and I are looking for uh, draft <laughs> teammates for, for just... Yeah, a, we, need, for we just need another six. Yeah, we need another six. So uh, anyway, um, that was pretty cool. And Team Handshake will be important going down the line of this tournament. Yeah, mostly young, mostly young people in that team too. So Young guns, um, yeah. Yeah, that's right. They're sort of the new, the younger challenger crowd of the the pro scene that uh, we shouldn't have ignored in our fantasy draft. But yeah, we we'll sh- on that later. 
Yeah, more more on that later. Uh, Jeff, how was standard? You already talked about how the field was overwhelmingly Esper, and this was something people as soon yeah. as the, the deck list came out on Friday, and everyone was just like, "Blah blah, Esper mirrors, fuck this." Yeah. 68% Esper, that sucks so much. I, this is what pro magic is, and just saying a bunch of stuff. And um, it, it was, like you were saying, really fun to watch people beat up on the Esper decks because... Yeah, exactly. So, you know, Esper was like 60% of the field. We hypothesized last week that the banning could have something to do with this too. Like, you just don't have time to test. What are you going to do? You're just going to pick a deck that you know is not bad. Um, like you, basically everyone knew the Esper deck was a good choice and short of like last minute scrounging and testing, you have like a week or two to get your deck list in. Mm-hmm. It's easier to just learn how to play the deck. That's a sure thing. And so I think that had a huge effect on the metagame as yeah. well. I don't think we're in a place that's like Esper is so much better than everything else that, that's why it's 60%. I think it's more like just the circumstance, uh, the small sample size of 32 players, a lot of whom worked together. Um, mm-hmm. They all just kind of contributed to that yeah. dominance. But I enjoyed watching it you know, more than I thought I would. Uh, the Esper Mirror actually has a lot of play to it, so it's not one of those like super lame mirror matches where it's like, oh, whoever's on the play always wins or mm-hmm. whoever finds, you know, a combo mirror match, it's like whoever finds the combo just wins. It's like, cool. Well, yeah. I wouldn't want to watch that all weekend. But Esper has a lot of back and forth and because there's like so much interaction, there's counter spells, there's kill spells and you have to play differently into each one. And so you'll see people with four mana and a children in hand, but they decide to play a two drop to play around make disappear or to pretend they have their own make disappear sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like it was just actually more fun. You know, obviously if there was no variety at all, I wouldn't want to only watch Esper mirror matches. Yeah. Um, but the Esper mirrors I watched were fun. Yeah. Uh, I agree with that. Like I didn't want to watch it all day because it does like, I understand where you're coming from, where it can be like, Sorry, you as in people uh, can be kind of tiresome to see the same mm-hmm. matchup over and over again, because to a lot of people, magic is about uh, expressing yourself through your deck choices. Um, the pro tournaments aren't always like that. Um, a lot of it is just like you're saying, pick uh, something that just is a good deck. And like you were saying as well, not having time to try to uh, innovate for something else and practicing the Esper mirror. Specifically, being like, everyone's going to be Esper. If I'm just better at the mirror and my build is better than theirs, then uh, we'll do great. And as we have seen, there is a build that was better than other builds uh, when they got to the top. So, yeah, it's, you, you can win those, those types of things with some of your, like, uh, your flex slots. You can add cards that uh, people aren't expecting. Um, but really some of the standard stuff that was fun to watch or the decks that were kind of the one-ups that came to just beat up on Esper and eat them alive, uh, which were some of my favorite ones. Those are the cool ones. Um, and specifically, Julian Wellman's Is It Tempo Spells deck was very exciting. I yeah. liked that a lot. 
Yeah, normally I wouldn't really be cheering for the tempo, blue-red tempo player, personally, yeah. but uh, I certainly was, uh, because, like you said, is a unique deck. Um, he was doing very well with it, mm-hmm. and uh, I found out, you know, because they mentioned it about four million times, that Nathan is a math grad student, or sorry, Julian, Julian. is a math grad student, so... Yeah, got to support my fellow uh, math math PhDs or future math PhD in his case. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found it really fun to watch it from Julian's side, and um, I thought he played really well. Uh, and the deck was just, again, like usually blue-red, not the more fun deck in almost any matchup. But in this situation, blue-red tempo was like the fun deck to be rooting for. And it was really, really cool to have that anchor because Julian also three would the draft, which means you're going to see him because they want to show you the, the four Oh match or the five Oh match. Mm-hmm. So if all the people who had drafted well had also brought Esper, we yeah, and just that had was to watch Esper mirrors. That's kind of the way it works. So we got a bit lucky that Julian's also good at draft. <laughs> yeah. So Julian ended the day on day one with a seven and one record, which just feels crazy and awesome. Uh, because this is a player that I didn't know super well and didn't pick for my fantasy team because I was just like, yeah, all right. I want to see you do great. And after the day one, I was like, okay, you are somebody I want to watch as well as the other four and one player from day one. Nathan Stower Mm -hmm. was playing um, this Grixis deck in um, standard and it was a, kind of like a build that we saw at the New Capena Championship. So it's playing like Corpse Appraiser and a lot of the good cards from the Esper deck, except for you have a lot more of these uh, other card advantage ex- engines that are also these creatures. I think Corpse Appraiser snuck up on me a little bit. When it was played in the New Capena Championship, I still was like, ah, it seems okay. But the, the more I was seeing it this time, I was like, ah, I do like this card. Uh, this is yeah. This is something I should probably. Well, it looks a lot better in the smaller, the that's smaller true. pool standard, right? That's that's very true. But yeah, I feel like they would have if this was a few months ago. They would have called this Grixis Vampires because it has like eight vampires, <laughs> or whatever. Oh yes, of course, classic uh, <laughs> like tribal naming things <laughs> where there aren't enough <laughs> cards and nothing. That Cut really... off is like five vampires because it, it has to have five of the tribe because that's more than just one playset of a single card. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but really, this deck is all about uh, casting Invoke Despair, which turns out is still a really good card, especially when you want one card to get rid of their problematic creature like Rafine or Shieldred, their Planeswalker... <laughs> <laughs> that they probably have out and their wedding announcement wow and if they don't have those things it just kills yeah. them and you draw cards it's uh right yeah it's just like no no way the card isn't good right yeah you're generally like phew when all it did was kill one of your creatures and draw your opponent two cards and like you take some damage like that's really good <laughs> yeah that's really good um so yeah. Yeah, whenever there's hate from myself, I think about this card where I was like, meh, it doesn't seem that exciting. It's very good. Um, I did want to ask you how you felt about this. Uh, So we're talking about standard right now. We're going to talk about the top four. But Jeff, should we just spoil it? Because there's no spoilers in sports. But we're talking about the deck already. Yes. So Nathan ends up 
being able to battle his way through, make it to the top four, and win the whole tournament, uh, which is just awesome, especially playing this Grixis deck. Yeah. So sweet. And he had to pound like three Esper matchups in a row, right? Yeah. Like everyone else was Esper, so he had to he had to consistently beat Esper essentially in order to win. Yeah, which he was uh, pretty close to doing. He did lose his first match uh, in the top four, but then he battled his way through the bottom and then lost right. again in the finals in the first, but then battled through the last two, which is crazy. He's also like 20-something. And the He's, other crazy thing, that's what I was going to say. Nathan is 20 yeah. years old. Not 20-something. He's 20. 20? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> that's insane. crazy. But reading his bio, like, he's won two of the past few, like, Mox championships, which are super hard tournaments. Like, to even qualify for those is pretty difficult. Mm -hmm. If I had, like, read his bio, I think I might have considered drafting him because I know how hard those tournaments are. And he's won two of the past, like, three or four. Not just, like, top eighted. Won them. (laughs) Won them. Yeah, because he won the first one. And then the second one he won was, like, a redundant uh, qualification for Worlds. (laughs) So... <laughs> yeah, exactly. He he was like, How many times did he qualify for this fucking tournament? Yeah. <laughs> Why are you playing in more quality? Just don't. <laughs> you don't have to, man. Um He's like, I was just practicing and I ended up winning. I don't know what happened. I was gonna say kick your feet up and grab a beer and relax, but he actually uh, can't. He's not allowed to yeah. to crack a beer. So <laughs> not yet. Damn. Oh man, that makes me feel so sad and old. Jeez. Um <laughs> And then when he does, well, you know what, Nathan, if you're out there, uh, shoot us a link whenever you can drink because uh, we have some recommendations for you. We got some good beers. Um, That's right. <laughs> I did want to ask you, though, because his deck ended up winning the whole thing, and he was playing four copies of Blood Tithe Harvester, and he was playing Reckoner Bankbusters, yeah, yeah, yeah. two of your favorite <laughs> cards. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I just I just love uh, that the whole weekend. Every time I saw him yeah. play like a regular bank buster on turn two, I'm like, hmm, I wonder how Jeff feels about that right now. I actually was playing a Tezzeret deck in Explorer uh, myself that has four copies of both of those cards. Oh, and I just my. named it cards I said were bad. <laughs> uh, is the deck doing So well I have a though? deck in my collection that's like Explorer, cards I said were bad. Yeah, it's pretty good. Because, okay. Well. Bankbuster is a lot better when Tezzeret turns it into a 4-4 that taps to draw a card without paying anything. That's pretty good. So, that's true. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. Sorry, I forgot what Tezzeret did. Yeah, no, no, no. That card is very good with Tezzeret. I have also experienced that. Um, uh, and even just turning the blood token into a 4-4 is pretty sick. <laughs> that's, that, that does sound really sick. I'm not going to budge on Bankbuster. I'm, I'm moving, up a bit on, uh, moving up a bit on the Vampire. Harvester. Though. I'm moving yeah, a little bit on har- that one, yeah. But the Bankbuster, I'm not budging on. This card is overrated as hell. <laughs> no. But Harvester is good when you're playing Fable as well. I, st- I maintain that a flipped Fable is good with, like, pretty much yes. anything. But <laughs> Fine. Right. We've had this argument. It's not really an argument. I tend to <laughs> not have any new things to say. Um, anyway, but uh, both of these players, 7-1, going into day two, uh, where they're only playing Explorer on day two. Like, the Explorer metagame was a lot more diverse. But the main three decks, or the main deck, which it, I, I don't know if this surprised you, but it really surprised me, was Abzan Greasefang. 
I didn't think that that deck was going to be mm-hmm. uh, one of the the choices for these players. I thought they would pick something that f- was I don't know, just different. I, it didn't seem like the type of deck that they would want to play. But Yuta Takahashi brought it and won a lot. Uh, a lot of the <laughs> Japanese players were playing it, um, and they were just tearing things down. But really, the um, the star of the show. Jeff, do you want to say which which deck just like really just just obliterated everybody? Uh, and Explorer just really. Oh, was it Rakdos Sacrifice? Oh no, it wasn't. It wasn't. No, are you sure? No. Yeah, that was another deck that people brought, but uh, it wasn't the one that uh, really made it made a splash. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the dominant deck of the weekend in Explorer was Mono Blue Spirits. Yeah, it was baby. Ooh, yeah. That was just cool. I was like, um, I'm trying to play Spirits and Pioneer. Obviously, it's a completely different deck, but having them play Rattle Chains and Shacklegeist and Supreme Phantoms and all this, and like, uh, it just was so cool. I'm like, this is awesome. Um, Not only that, but they have some really sweet sideboard tech. So, and I think this is is such an interesting card that they found to play. Mm Mm-hmm. And I just, because I would, it's not the type of, obviously it's a pro idea. And it's never the kind of thing I would ever want to do because I'd be like, that sounds stupid. Why would you ever do that? But uh, the team's <laughs> I feel like it's something I would try and it would fail because it's mm-hmm. it's such a like ridiculous idea. I'd it's be like, insane. oh, why don't I put this card in my deck and yeah. maybe it'll work. And then I'll be like, oh, that was dumb. <laughs> Yeah, so one of the worst matchups for Mono Blue Spirits is the uh, Racto Sacrifice deck because uh, it's really hard to counter some of their spells because everything's so low to the ground and Mayhem Devil destroys mm-hmm. you because all your creatures yeah. have like one or two toughness unless you happen to have a bunch of Supreme Ver- um, Phantoms out and that you're winning anyway. Yeah. So the card that they brought in for that matchup, the sideboard card, is four copies of Leyline of Combustion, which is the red one. Whew. So a mono-blue mono deck. deck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Um, but of course, all the Leylines say that uh, if it's in your opening hand, you can have it on the battlefield at the beginning of the game. It's like your pregame action. And mm-hmm. Leyline of Combustion says, whenever you and or at least one permanent you control becomes the target of a spell or ability an opponent controls, it deals two damage to that player. So it turns all those Mayhem Devil triggers where they go onto all your creatures into your face Oof. as just shocks to your opponent each time they target it, which is brutal. But what a what a cool! That's so cool! What a cool! It's insane! I don't know how I don't know how you beat this card as a Rakdos sacrifice player. I, I don't know how you ever beat it. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, enchantments are not something that Rakdos takes care of very well. Now the mono blue player, I guess you just. You just mulligan until you get it, because if you draw it, it's dead in your hand. Like you can't do anything with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mulligan until you get leyline and then play it. That's that's the sideboard plan. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's so good. So, this means all of you mono blue players out there, if you're looking at these lists, either <laughs> either stick to the plan of I'm going to play Leyline if I'm playing against Rakdos and that's my plan or take it out of the sideboard don't 
This was brought in <laughs> for a very specific tournament. You you shouldn't be putting all of these ley lines of combustions in your deck unless you're expecting a lot of Rakdos or really tired of losing to Rakdos. But that's it. Don't... Uh, yeah. This isn't just like a stock list you should just take to any tournament or whatever event you're playing. I mean, maybe for the, the next week because everyone's playing the world championship decks, right. but... But soon after, it's probably the first thing to go. Don't don't bring it in in the mirror match. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think it speaks to how good they thought Spirits was, that they were like, all right, essentially this tells me they thought they had one bad matchup, which mm-hmm. was Rakdos, and they found a silver bullet to, to shore up that matchup, and they thought they were favored in, like, any other matchup. So they like were able to dedicate four side because I don't know if they knew necessarily that Rakdos sacrifice would be as big a portion of the pie as, as it was because I think the sort of most people just thought there'd be a lot of Rakdos mid range, um, not necessarily the sacrifice variant, but they were like, our deck is so good against that, that we don't care what we mm-hmm. can't beat is mayhem devil. So let's put four, Ley lines. Let's put four red cards in our mono blue sideboard <laughs> just to beat Mayhem Devil because we're so good against everything else we can do it. Yeah. Because now it gets to the point where, like, if you're playing your Racto Sacrifice deck against this, are you just siding out all your Mayhem, De- Mayhem Devils? Being like, uh, <laughs> I mean, that's the main way to win. It, it doesn't stop Cat Oven, yeah. so there's that, but. Uh, no, you're just like targeting your own Mayhem Devil with its trigger. You're like using it as a 3-3 and n- not targeting them. Yeah. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> oh, that's so bad. Um, yeah. Anyway, it was fun to see this. Uh, their team uh, did very well with this deck because um, it was just like the four mm-hmm. of them. I think one other person brought it. Let's see, where is he? Where is he? Yeah, Reed Duke also... I uh, was playing mono blue spirits yeah. <laughs> and he wasn't actually part of their testing team because Reed was testing with uh, Logan. Um, but he didn't mm-hmm. come with the four copies of the, <laughs> the right. ley line of combustion, <laughs> but I think they were talking about it afterwards. And he was saying that that was um, either something that he thought of or that he really liked that they had added to theirs. Um, right. And uh, I think I heard Eli Cassis just saying how he's like, yeah, we, you know, if Reed Duke is telling us that we've made a good sideboard decision, like that's fucking big. And they were really stoked. Um, <laughs> so right. they uh, they had a good time. And two players from that team made it to the top four. Uh, Eli Cassis uh, as one of them. So who made it to the finals. So, so yeah, awesome. Really cool stuff. Really, really cool stuff. <sighs> Great tournament. Um, I guess before we kind of close up i guess i i said a lot of what i wanted to say about the tournament in this chunk yeah so my last thoughts on explorer are that uh boy did racto sacrifice have a a tough time of things because of the tech from the mono blue players but also like i don't think grease fang's a particularly good matchup because you they could just combo you you don't have a ton of instant speed interaction like if you don't have a mayhem devil already on the battlefield you need to draw one of your like three fatal pushes or you're going to lose to Grease Fang. Mm-hmm. And so that was like the whole metagame was like anti Rakdos sack. But the funny thing is, you know, you mentioned uh, last last episode or two episodes ago uh, that we're planning on playing in a pioneer event. You said you were going to play Bant Spirits. 
before this event, I saw how many Explorer players were playing Rakdos Sacrifice. And I said, okay, this is going to decide it for me. If the world champion brought Rakdos Sacrifice to this tournament, like the, if Rakdos Sacrifice ends up winning the tournament, then I will play World's, uh, Rakdos Sacrifice in Pioneer. So <laughs> it looks like I'm playing Rakdos Sacrifice in Pioneer because Nathan actually did bring Rakdos Sacrifice <laughs> as his Explorer deck of choice, even though the deck this didn't necessarily look like the best pick for the week weekend yeah because he also had a really hard time in explorer him and julian julian was playing like a, a team of creativity but um mm-hmm. he had a really hard time and it was just this was where the roller coaster was so nathan Stoyer starts the day he becomes uh, seven and one he then becomes the only uh like the the highest ranked player of the day because he kept going and uh, Julian had lost a couple matches because the creativity deck just wasn't coming together, especially against all these co- like mm-hmm. counter spells from blue. He ends up going all the way through, uh, and his last match of the day is against Eli Cassis, who was already locked for the top four, and this was uh, Nathan's winning in, and he ends up losing to Eli Cassis being dropped down to nine and five with a slew of other players. There's only one slot left in the top four and he has to get into the top four on breakers. So he, he uh, crossed his fingers, didn't pull a Jeff and made it in the top four. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, gets into the top four. First person he has to play against is Ely Cassis. He loses the match, goes down to the bottom bracket, beats everyone all the way to Ely Cassis again in the finals, loses a match again to Ely Cassis, and then wins the last two to take it all home. It was crazy. I was like, you... So in the end, Ely was like up 3-2 on Nathan in matches. Yeah. Nathan won the ones that mattered most. Yeah, exactly. Which is just... I can't believe it. That was crazy. So it's got to be demoralizing. How do you have like still have the confidence to go into the fourth match after this guy's beat you three times? And yeah, be like yes, I can do this. I, we could see on the cameras too, like where they're playing this kind of dark area. But they have like Ely just kind of looks at the camera when he wins to um, keep uh, in Explorer. He wins and, and keeps Nathan at at the uh, nine and five. He just kind of gives the camera mm-hmm. a little nod, and then Nathan's like breaking down like takes off his glasses and he's thinking like this is it the tournament's over like my great streak at the beginning of this tournament is done and i'm not gonna make it and so he's like crying and then he ends up getting in uh and like is shaking as he's going up because he's like i can't believe i'm here and then at the end of the tournament he's also just like just ripped apart um what just happened? Yeah, Ely comes up, gives him a big hug when he wins the whole thing, and he's just like tears are streaming down his face, being like, I don't know what's going on. I can't believe this is happening. Um, it was a great, good tournament. Really love to see all the heart, and I'm excited to have four copies of Nathan at some point, whatever his card's going to be. Awesome tournament. Uh, congratulations again to Nathan. Uh, definitely deserved, and uh, thank you for choosing my Pioneer deck for me. All right, so Jeff, I have finished my beer, and uh, I think mm-hmm. it's time for a, uh, a beer break. Grab that, then we'll come back, talk about our fantasy teams, and then we'll go into some uh, Brothers War spoilers. Sounds great.
This beer break is brought to you by our patrons over on Patreon. That's right. You're already supporting the show just by listening, but if you want to support the show even more, Patreon's the best way to do that. Plus, when you visit our Patreon, you get to vote on which co-host wins the Arena Regulars World Championship uh, by clicking the Buy Jeff a Beer button. Or click the button that says Buy Zach a Beer. So go to patreon.com slash arena regulars to vote. Or if you'd rather just send us a beer emoji, you can do so on the Arena Regulars Discord channel. The link should be in the show notes. Three, two, one, and crack. All right, Zach, what have we got here? All right, so Jeff, uh, like we did last week, we are, or the week before, I can't remember, um, we are doing kind of a series with uh, Mascot Brewery and the Second Wedge. So this is another beer from Second Wedge. Uh, it is called Rainmaker. It is their 6% porter. And uh, there's like a, it's blue. And there's uh, pictures of like trail markings again. Because this is, uh, once again, in Uxbridge, Ontario. And they, uh, there's a lot of like trail culture up there. Like I think with mountain biking and, and hiking. Uh, so this is mm-hmm. their, their porter for that. It's uh, award winning. And it says that it uh, has rich dark chocolate and espresso flavors. So we'll see how similar it is to our stout that also had cold brew and chocolate. All right. Here we go. Yeah, similar notes. All right. So, Jeff, we talked about the world championship, but we do need to talk about our fantasy teams very quickly. Because uh, I, I want to I okay. keep, keep it uh, short, not too painful. Uh But uh, as we like to do, and we're going to do just every year, Jeff and I draft players for the uh, World Championship just to see who is most in tune with uh, what the the best magic players are doing (laughs) and who they think is going to win. So how it works is that uh, we we pick five players and uh, we get one point per match win that player gets. And whoever has the most players at the end wins. You also get plus one point if they make the top four and plus one point if they win the whole tournament. Jeff, would you like to read off your team and how many points they got? Sure. Uh, all right. So my team begins with uh, J.E.D. Jean-Emmanuel Dupra, runner-up for last year's world championship. He got six points. Uh, Jan Moritz Merkel got six points. Shota Yasuoka, five points. Logan Nettles, my superstar, seven points. And Yuki Ichikawa, nice. five points. Not so bad, not so bad. Mm-hmm. Um, my team, on the other hand, I started with Yuta Takahashi, who was used to be the uh, world champion. He had nine points. Reed Duke got eight points. Ely Cassis, oof, my man, got 14 points. Zachary Keeney, the, the worst in my team, got seven points. And then Jim Davis also got nine points. So what? Uh, my total was 29 points. What was yours? Oh, sorry. Mine was 47. I just thought everyone wanted to do the math in their head. Uh, but yeah, yeah, 47 to 29. <laughs> Oof. That's, uh, that's a... Yeah, that's a, that was a tough one. That's a good one. Um, I was mentioning this to you before the show, but uh, they break up the teams into... Or sorry, they break up the players into like the top 16 and the bottom 16. And once I saw that all my players were in the top 16, I just knew it was over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, your worst performing player, Zachary Keeney, had seven points. My best performing player was Logan Nettles with seven points. So, yeah. Um, 
Oh, this was a lopsided one. What a good... Even if I team. add Nathan Stoyer to my team, I think I still lose. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, feels good. So um, not a crazy uh, bet on this one, Jeff. You just owe me a round of beers next time we're together. So I'm going to be expecting that. Done. Perfect. Peanut butter milkshake IPAs <laughs> coming your way. Fuck. What? <laughs> All right. Great. Um, <laughs> that's a joke because I gave Jeff uh, a peanut butter milkshake uh, <laughs> beer when uh, when I lost last time. Um, anyway, Jeff, let's go into some Brothers War spoilers because we got a lot of new cards that came out this weekend. And, well, there's some really interesting stuff going on. This set, basically, we want to go through and see, is this going to be busted? Is it not going to be busted? I don't know. Yeah, I'm still not sold either way. I know they're going for, like, because it's the Brothers' War, it's, like, big mechs fighting each other, so they have, like, expensive vehicles or, like, vehicle-like artifacts, like big artifact creatures, which tends to not be the busted things about an artifact set, so I think they've kept the focus on the right thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but they're playing with fire a little bit on some of these mechanics and on some of the, the cards here. So. There's a couple, <laughs> there's a couple that are like, oh boy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So one thing that was nice, I, there was a discussion panel just about how the set was made with a lot of people that were like part of uh, vision design or story or all these kinds of things. Uh, that was really nice. But one of the things the play designer guy was talking about is that, uh, something they wanted to focus on was having artifacts still feel like old artifacts where there weren't color pips in the actual casting cost because that's a relatively mm-hmm. modern uh, way of looking at artifacts as far as magic is concerned. Um, back in the day during the Brothers War era, they would not have had mana pips in the actual casting cost. But they've been able to add mana pips on other parts of the card to make it feel more uh, cohesive with the actual... um, Just making sure that the artifacts aren't as busted. It wasn't like Kaladesh where everything's like, yeah, you just play that because... Uh, it's uh, you can play it at every deck or Phyrexian Mana, where it's like, yeah, you just play that in every deck, which is also in an artifact set. So, right. um, so I kind of I, I like that idea uh, as we're seeing on this um, ability prototype, which a lot of these artifact creatures that you were saying have, uh, which is like a very large creature that can be you can pay a smaller cost that's colored um, to get a smaller version of it. Yeah. It kind of looks like this is like a cycle of mythic rares that have this. Essentially, I'm not seeing. There are uh, a bunch. It's of... It's not something they're they're throwing around. There too liberally. The, there's a good amount of like commons that have it. It's not um, something crazy, but uh, I, I know there's a handful of draft commons that are like, this costs nine, but it will cost six or whatever. So yeah, well, we could start there then. Prototype. Um, so it's reverse kicker, right? Yeah. It's like, okay, the card starts out as the big version and you're allowed to play it for the small version. Uh, few thoughts about that are that changes the card's mana value. Uh, kicker, right? You keep the smaller mana values, the, the mm-hmm. mana value of the card when it's in your deck or whatever. Um, that doesn't tend to matter that much necessarily. Um, but it also, like the reason it's interesting here is that kicker um for is exactly the reason you said like kicker is 
you pay extra mana, so you can't like you can add colors with Kicker, but you can't take colors away. And so this design is not really doable with Kicker because the base would be one black black, and then you kick it for an extra however much mana. Um, it's it's functionally different because it changes the color of the card as well. But in terms of play patterns, this is not going to feel that different from Kicker. <laughs> yeah. It's just like what's the quote-unquote base mode and what's the big mode are reversed. But in terms of how it plays, it's going to feel very Kicker-like, I think. Yeah. Um, though a lot of uh, the cards, so uh, the power and toughness change depending on how big or small it is. Mm-hmm. So, But that's the only thing. All the other abilities on the card are still there. They might change where it says like... Um, when this creature enters the battlefield, uh, you get to do something based on its power. And so the, the card gets better when you play the bigger version or if you flicker it or if you reanimate it, things like that, um, which is kind of fun. Uh, I don't think those things will be crazy broken. There might be one artifact in particular that's like, huh, I don't know about this one, but uh, we'll, we'll mm-hmm. kind of have to find out. Yeah, that's a good point about like reanimating it. Uh, mm-hmm. This is... Very different from Kicker when it comes to reanimation. <laughs> yeah, it, it's much more interesting and exciting. Like, ooh, some of these targets. There are a couple reanimation spells in, well, white and black, but um, it's like, uh, maybe something cool. Mm-hmm. The one prototype card I wanted to talk about is um, Arcane Proxy. It's a seven mana, four, three wizard artifact creature. It has prototype for one blue-blue, and it comes in as a 2-1. And it says, when Arcane Proxy enters the battlefield, if you cast it, exile target instant or sorcery card with mana value less than or equal to this card's power from your graveyard. Copy that card. You may cast it without paying its mana cost. So, Jeff, is this our own little, like... Snapcaster Mage? <laughs> yeah. I like the if you cast it. So this is a horrible reanimation target. Mm-hmm. It's just a 4-3. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a bummer. I think they don't want you to like reanimate this and then copy the reanimation spell. That was the idea. Um, yeah, this is sort of a, a, nomad, or a nod to Snapcaster, right? It's 2-1. Uh, for three mana, you get to play a 2-1 and uh, cre- a small spell from your graveyard. Um, obviously it's not at instant speed. I don't know. This card seems like if there's a home for it, it could be pretty good. Maybe even, uh, Julian's blue, blue red deck. Mm-hmm. The big problem, obviously that makes this much, much worse than Snapcaster is it doesn't play nice with counter spells. Yeah. Like Snapcaster, you, you counter stuff a lot of the time mm-hmm. is what you're doing with it. Um, this can't do that, and I think rightfully so. I don't think anybody really wants Snapcaster in standard. Mm-hmm. So it forces you to be a little more proactive. It reminds me more of, um, oh, geez, the, the red creature, the 1-3, that uh, was really good with, like, Thoughtseize. Oh, Dreadhorde Arcanist? This was the historic. To, yeah, Dreadhorde Arcanist, where it's like, you want to be playing spells that are proactive with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's related to its power and all that. So it kind of makes me think of uh, Dreadhorde Arcanist a little bit. That's cool. I like that idea. Um, yeah, it seems kind of fun. There, there's a, a bit of a spells deck that I'm kind of interested in in standard, which we might 
talk about a little bit later. So this card might fit into that with the things mm -hmm. I'm kind of interested in doing. So um, I have my eye on this card. It is a mythic, so it will be um, pricey as far <laughs> as like our wild cards are concerned. But um, uh, I, I do have my eye on you, Arcane Proxy. Yeah, it's an interesting card. I don't think it's broken, mm -mm. but I think it, it could range from like people don't really play it to a very, very good. Yeah. It has a lot of potential. A lot of potential. Um, okay, so the, there are a few cards that uh, I find interesting. I'm wondering, should we just talk about the Planeswalkers? Should we make sure we... Sure, we that's, that, that's usually a good thing to do. <laughs> All right, so let's start with, uh, you know, the Planeswalker that everyone was expecting because she's such a big part of the story, um, <laughs> Sahili. So uh, Sahili Filigree Master... Two red, blue for a three loyalty planeswalker. Plus one, scry one. You may untap an you may tap an untapped artifact you control if you do draw a card. Minus two, create two one one thopters with haste. Uh, minus four, you get an emblem with artifact creatures you control get plus one plus one and artifact spells you cast cost one less to cast. Wow, that this is a very interesting planeswalker. Yeah, it seems. Interesting. I like the top bit of tapping an untapped artifact because we do have so many different um, artifact tokens that are going around. Um, we have blood right. and treasures. Uh, sometimes we still have clues. So there are things that are just laying around on the battlefield a lot of the time that we can use this, um, which I do like. And, mm -hmm. and uh, it does seem good. We are in a, uh, what is it? a um, kind of planeswalker standard. So formatted right. planeswalkers that protect themselves, this makes two blockers. Uh, does seem interesting, especially when we're getting a lot more artifacts. I think there's a blue-red deck in here somewhere. And for whatever reason, I'm going to find it. I don't know why I'm going to be the one that... No, I probably <laughs> won't be the one to find it, but I'll probably play it. for. I don't know why. I never want to play this deck, but it's calling to me right now. I don't know. I don't know. It's because of Julian. It's Yeah, I guess it's because of Julian. It's so weird. Yeah, so the plus one is interesting because, like exactly like you said, any way of using these tokens that we have in abundance, you always have to, like, you know, raise an eyebrow because you, you already people are already playing Blood Tithe Harvester, for example. This is a way to actually get extra value out of the, the token it makes. This is a slow way to do it. Like I tend to be looking for stuff like deadly dispute or mm -hmm. uh, something that's a little more explosive. This is like, if it sticks around, I can use it every turn to draw a card. It's like a more of a long-term thing. Um, but definitely still good. But that minus two is like, that's a hell of a minus two create two one, one flying hastes. It's also that like this card does have that situation of like, you can ultimate fairly quickly with it. Uh, right. um, so if you have any sort of board presence, which there are some stuff in here that's going to shoot a, a bunch of thopters or little artifacts, you're like, sweet, play this, scry, draw a card, and then next turn, I'm just going to get the emblem because that's what I really want. Um, and then your deck turns... You were saying before when you were talking about Urza about how uh, if your artifacts cost one less, how it can be really scary because that tends to be the time when things 
come out for free or become broken or you get into weird loops of like mm-hmm. everything is less expensive. So now we have these weird loops that weren't supposed to happen. Um, so if that becomes a play pattern, that's like, right. all right, they played Sahili with uh, some blockers up. She has to plus if you're trying to ultimate her on the next turn. But I don't know. There's a, if you can protect her with all her little stupid dudes, um, just getting an emblem cracked right away, just feel nice. <laughs> and then, well, I don't know yeah. what's going to happen after that. But <laughs> uh, And for those wondering, uh, it's sort of written a little weird. They just want to have Thopters be a token in the set, and they don't always want the Thopters to have haste. So that's why it's like, create two Thopters, they gain haste until end of turn. Mm-hmm. Uh, it mostly doesn't matter outside of they don't want to make two different tokens. One is a Thopter without haste and one is a Thopter with haste. So they just templated it this way. And then other cards, the, the Thopters don't always have to have haste now Yeah, for when another card makes them. Because, and I, I, I like that in general, if they just kind of do that specifically with haste, because it's fairly mm-hmm. unnecessary um after the the turn that is that matters so uh we don't and it really changes the power level of a card if the thopter has haste or not so when it's like a random common mm-hmm. it's probably a whole extra mana for a common that makes a thopter if the thopter is going to have haste like mm-hmm. haste is a very powerful ability so um it's just better to do it this way let's not force us into a spot where every thopter card has to have haste Let's just like make the the mythic rare can give it haste. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like we'll template the mythic a little little like oddly so that it works nicely everywhere else. Yeah, exactly. Um, similar to how all the power stones come into play tapped, but they just write that on the, all the cards. They don't actually write it on the the power stone token. Um, right. So each card will say create a tapped power stone on almost everything. Um, so mm-hmm. I guess look out to see if there's ones that are untapped, but I, they purposely tried to make it that you couldn't uh, do anything crazy in one turn uh, with the Power Stones. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. That was, that was a very wise decision. I think that's a good decision. <laughs> um, so speaking of wise decisions and wise people, do you want to talk about Teferi Temporal <laughs> Pilgrim? Let me have it. Let me hear it. Okay. What does this card do? Uh, he's three blue blue for a four mana legendary planeswalker Teferi. He has a static ability that says, whenever you draw a card, put a loyalty counter on Teferi. Mm. Uh oh. <sighs> uh, I already feel icky. Um, he has a, a, <laughs> a zero, which says draw a card, which means, really, it means plus one draw a card because. You, you immediately get to put yeah. a counter on. Um, it's has a, cute. Yeah, it's cute. It's cute. Uh, he has a minus two that says, create a 2-2 two, two blue spirit creature token with vigilance, and whenever you draw a card, put a plus one, plus one counter on this creature. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> and then uh, a giant ultimate, minus 12. Target opponent chooses a permanent they control and returns it to its owner's hand. Then they shuffle each non-land permanent they control into its owner's library. Leave it to the Teferi card to be super weird and do stuff you're not used to, so you, it's hard to evaluate. Mm-hmm. This card seems good to me. It seems good. I do like that we're going yeah. to that, you know, the thing where I, I enjoyed Teferi in the sense when he was enchantments and he cared when I drew cards to mill my opponent. Um, this one seems like the <laughs> yeah. thing that's just going to be so irritating. 
to me. I just like, I just feel it in my bones. Just the thing that I immediately think about is like, you're curving, you're playing Esper and you have for Rafine and Mm -hmm. then you drop this and you attack with Rafine, you draw like three cards or something and it's just like pops up to seven, eight loyalty. Um, Yeah. Right away. That's the kind of stuff that I'm like, oh, it feels like it might be, it doesn't necessarily feel like this is the control finisher that Teferi's often are, or like only go in control decks. This looks more like it just plays well with connive. Well, because like in that scenario, you play this on five, you attack with your, uh, you minus two to make the two, two blocker essentially, but it has vigilance. So it's going to attack next turn. You attack with your team. Um, you put counters from Rufina on itself or somebody else, and then your 2-2 becomes a 4-4 probably at least. So you're like, great, this is just, it's going to be annoying. And then Teferi goes back up to 4 loyalty. And then this know. is also, um, right, it's back up to 4 or 5 loyalty. So it's it, I, it doesn't look like a card I'm excited to play with, but it looks like a card I'm not going to like playing against is, is why I feel mm-hmm. this way. I um, like that it's interesting, um, and I'm not totally convinced that like this is just is better than just oh we're just gonna play ao mm-hmm. as our five drop in esper like this might not be it just might be better to just play ao because it's it's better on its on an empty board um but like this seems like it's really good with connive and probably still decent in a control deck so i think they kind of threaded the needle decently mm-hmm. um like what's the silver scrutiny or something yeah right? like you drop this then the next turn you slam a silver scrutiny and then you ultimate yeah it's also <laughs> the game plan in the control deck right it's weird in like the shieldred meta where if your opponent has shieldred obviously this is terrible because you're gonna lose a bunch of life but if you have shieldred you just gain a bunch of life <laughs> like True, yeah, combos with Shieldred in, in, a, just like, in a weird way. Oh, great. That's mostly about Shieldred being super weird and, like, the ability being way better than it reads. Yeah. Um, although I will say Shieldred looked terrible in every match I saw it in, in the World Championship to the point where people were signing it out and, like, whoever didn't side out Shieldred usually lost. Um, yeah. I It did seem like... Um, Everyone was ready for Shieldred and knew what to do in that situation. And so you want the threat of it so that they have to hold things knowing that Shieldred could come down at any time. Because uh, there are many games I watch where it's like uh, Shieldred's about to come down or something. And, and a lot of people were at four or two. And they're like, I have to make sure I can kill Shieldred. And like people gaining life, right. gaining two life so they can use their Infernal Grass to kill something so they, they're not dead, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, making sure that uh, either nobody has Shieldred or you both have Shieldred. But um, interesting. I forget which player it was, but they sided out Shieldreds mm-hmm. in the mirror match. And the opponent, like you're saying, still had to respect that it could happen yeah. without actually having to ever have this card in your hand, knowing that it's almost certainly going to trade with a two mana card. Yeah. It like forced the opponent to play differently without actually oh crap i have two shieldreds in my hand now i just lose mm-hmm. anyway um as far as teferi goes both planeswalkers super interesting nothing too crazy but teferi is the one i'm like 
I feel like I'm going to see this a lot, and either I'm going to be like super impressed or be like meh. But I think if this cost four and like the numbers were slightly tweaked, obviously, um, then we're talking powerhouse territory. Mm-hmm. I think at five, it's probably just good. Realistically, is a like bit of a long shot to see a ton of play. Um, but I could see it. I could see it. Oh, maybe this card's just, it just has to be a little better than it looks to suddenly be like, oh, what were they thinking with Teferi? Exactly. I totally called it. Yeah. He was busted. Classic. Uh, <laughs> the, the the thing you should do is yeah. just say everything is busted so that you're always right. Um, yeah. <laughs> at some point. You never get called out for being wrong on that. Like all the people that were calling for an Obnixilis ban. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where are you at? Can, can we... Nobody plays that card. Yeah. Where are you? So now, Jeff, is there a card you want to talk about? I would like to talk about, you know, we talked about the other meld cards already. So mm-hmm. I want to talk about the new meld cards that we uh, saw. Um, and these ones are, in my opinion, the coolest ones. So not that the other ones weren't cool, mind you. Oh, wow. Just these ones are, are you, even cool. It just seems yeah. so jund of you to be excited about this one. <laughs> Um, I know, green, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so this is Titania, Voice of Gaia. One green, green for a 3-4 reach. Whenever one or more land cards are put into your graveyard from anywhere, you gain two life. Love it. I love stuff that references lands going to the graveyard. I don't know why. It's a weakness mm-hmm. of mine. But it's like, this goes right into my Gitrog monster jank deck, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then it... If there are, beginning of your upkeep, if there are four more lands in your graveyard and you both own and control this card and then another card, which is a land, Argoth, Sanctum of Nature, transforms into Titania, Gaia, Incarnate. So the land that it melds with, Argoth, Sanctum of Nature, then is the battlefield tapped unless you control a legendary green creature. Eh? Mm-hmm. See what they did there? Um, tap to add green. And you can also pay two green green and tap it to create a two two green bear creature token. Then mill three cards. Uh, helps with the titania, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Yeah. Necessity. You can only activate that as a sorcery. It probably doesn't matter that much. And they flip into the powerhouse. So it flips into titania, Gaia incarnate, which is like a giant tree elemental thing. It's a star star. It has Vigilance, Reach, Trample, and Haste. It says, uh, this card's power and toughness are each equal to the number of lands you control. And when it enters the battlefield, return all land cards from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. Ooh, hoo, hoo. Uh, Love it. Then we have uh, three in the green for an activated ability. Put four plus one plus one counters on target land you control. It becomes a zero zero elemental creature token with haste. It's still a land. And that's just forever. It just becomes that. Yeah, super awesome card. I think the thing to call out here is like when something melds with a land, you have to be pretty careful because um, like you might even just play Argoth Sanctum of Nature in green decks as a little bit of reach that creates the bears later. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the opportunity cost is super low. I think they made Titania interesting, like not just so, so dominant a creature. If this was just a good creature, you would just play this mm-hmm. and then sometimes combo off, but it's like a three, four reach that doesn't quite get there for three. That's not enough anymore. Mm-hmm. And then the land thing is like, you really have to be interested in milling yourself. Yeah. Um, 
so I think they did a really good job, like threading that needle of we have a like the melding with the land is awesome, really cool, but you have to be careful that the creature is just not like raw. Imagine if this was like Briarbridge Tracker and then melds with the land, be like, well, every green deck's just gonna play this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they did a good job of making it a bit more unique than that, uh, and also making the payoff really interesting as well, but like worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if the, anyone's going to play these cards, but I really like them. I also think they're sweet. But no, you're right. Um, looking at some of the other meld pairs where it's like there are the Phyrexian Dragon Engine with Mishra. It's already a card that I'm interested mm-hmm. in just because it's like I like aggressive creatures like that. Um, so I'm like, I just want to play that regular card, even if it doesn't switch right so um b- being able to have one of the the pieces of the the pair in this case the land be the one that i'm interested in playing already makes you be like yeah maybe i'll throw one in and it might happen sometime or something like that so um, exactly right there, there's gonna be a lot of decks with like a single titania voice of gaia because sometimes it happens yeah <laughs> especially because uh important to note this is something that they do sometimes but our goth sanctum of nature is not legendary itself mm-hmm. yeah so you can play a bunch of copies even of though this, it's but super legendary name yes <laughs> uh they've done this a couple times before we had some legendary lands in kamigawa um which are thank god they are jeez if, if they weren't legendary gee yeah oh yeah. god they'd be everywhere they would be everywhere like, those needed to be legendary. so thank god but um they they do this for reasons that i don't exactly understand um but whatever so you can play four of these if you want and not feel bad. Um, as long as you... I think that's that's just the idea. It's like yeah. you don't want to be like, oh, I really want my whole deck to be around like flipping into Titania voice or like flipping into um, Gaia Incarnate. Mm-hmm. But it's like, oh, I just get so punished for having to play four Argoths from trying to build that cool deck. Um, I think it's fair to not make this legendary. The, the poster child for this is Valakut, right? Which is like, mm-hmm. it's literally called the Molten Pinnacle. It's like, <laughs> you couldn't be calling it out as a unique site more. Mm-hmm. Um, it has a name and it's called the Molten Pinnacle. It's like the highest. So uh, <laughs> there's got to be one. Uh, but the card would like be pretty lame if you could only play one because the whole point is you stack them. So uh I've always, like, I think, like, gameplay should be more important than... Than uh, lore story stuff? Intuit, mm-hmm. Intuitive. Like, people are going to be like, oh, isn't that legendary? Oh, I guess it's not. Ha ha. And then, and then that's, that's it. The end. <laughs> yeah. Right. Now they know it's not legendary. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's not, a, not as big an issue as some people... Some people disagree and think, like... When something is uniquely named, it should be legendary. Otherwise, it's confusing, which that's a valid point. I just think it's uh, it's not that important to me. Mm-hmm. It, they could have just called this something really weird, like, you know, just call it Sanctum of Nature. Mm-hmm. Okay, then it's not legendary. But this is cooler, so whatever. Let's, yeah, let's it, do it this way. It references a... I'm assuming it references, like, this tree in the picture but maybe 
I think Argoth is also just like a full place. So maybe it's okay that it's yeah. like a multiple forest pieces. I don't know. I don't know how many like spoilers we want here, but Argoth is basically like they were separate from the Brothers War. They were like, we don't care. We're just our own place. We're nature. You guys do your stupid robot war mm-hmm. and leave us out of it. And then it ends up being the final battle place for Mishra and Urza. It gets like obliterated from <laughs> uh, uh. supposed to be that like irony of they were the ones that wanted nothing to do with it. But eventually they blasted through all the resources. Where are they going to go? They're going to fight over the place that still has the resources they need. And so Argoth ends up being that battleground. Mm. Poor Argoth. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that in another Drunken Forthos episode at some point. But Jeff, there was a <laughs> big right. splashy artifact I do want to talk about before we round out the rest of this episode. Um, this is nine mana for an artifact. It's called <laughs> Portal to Phyrexia. Uh, it's a mythic rare. And it says, when Portal to Phyrexia enters the battlefield, each opponent sacrifices three creatures. And then, at the beginning of your upkeep, put target creature card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. It's a Phyrexian in addition to other types. This just seems like a really... I like... I want this (laughs) artifact reanimation deck where you can mill yourself yeah. and and cheat this into play from your graveyard and then fuck your opponent up by making him sacrifice a bunch of things and just start stealing the stuff they sacrificed or things you milled over originally or any of those types of things, which we've already seen a couple of um, artifact reanimation spells, I think, in the set. So mm-hmm. looks like they're trying to make this a reality and it's a reality I want to live in. Super cool. I love the theme of this card too. I my mind went the same way. Like we're gonna reanimate this, right? Mm-hmm. Like I know there's the the idea they they're throwing out there that you're gonna play this off power stones, um, but we're trying to reanimate this, right? Like <laughs> yeah, unless I can shit out a bunch of power stones really quickly, uh, then then sure. But but no, this is like a we want to reanimate this on turn four kind of thing, right? Um, and then there. What I like most, I think, is there are decks that won't care. Like, if it's not a creature deck, this doesn't reanimating this doesn't just win you the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like that when there are different reanimation targets and you have to, like, tune your... Like, you actually sideboard in your reanimation deck instead of it's just like, oh, you always reanimate Emrakul or Gristle... Well, I guess not Emrakul, Gristlebrand, right? It's just the mm-hmm. best target. Um, they're like some targets will be good in some matchups and some targets will be, will be bad in some matchups. And I think that's more fun. So, uh, this gets like a big two thumbs up in in terms of design for me as someone who loves reanimator and also wants there to be a variety of options to consider rather than just one, like, Oh, I just reanimate this and I win the game. Yeah. Uh, I love that. It, it reminds me of um, actually Julian Wellman's uh, creativity deck where, you know, they have Hornet Queen in the sideboard if you want to use that instead of um, Titan of Industry as your, like, uh, target. Mm-hmm. 
which he ended up losing a match uh, where he played two Hornet Queens and still lost, uh, which just really, Uh-oh. really sucks. <laughs> that means your sideboard plan was not the yeah, best. <laughs> ended up, uh, I think that was his plan against uh, Spirits, and it didn't work. Uh, but oof, what a... What a that's rough, um, yeah. But uh, <laughs> this looks pretty sweet. I'm excited for some more Phyrexian shenanigans, um, which we're going to see in the next set. So anytime I see little Phyrexian things, I'm excited for the Brothers War, obviously. But the Phyrexians are where my heart's really at. So give uh, give me some yeah. evil shit. Um, is there one last card you want to talk about before we go to last call? You know what? I feel like we have to talk about. Uh, Gix. So this is like the main enemy. He is Gix, Yogmoth Praetor, one black, black, three, three. He has whenever a creature deals combat damage to one of your opponents, its controller may pay one life. If they do, they draw a card. And then he has this ridiculous ability four black, 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 discard X cards. Okay, so that's how you activate this. Exile the top X cards of target opponent's library. You may play land and cast spells from among cards exiled this way without paying their mana costs. Um, so this is the big bad, the leader of the Phyrexian invasion uh, during this time. He's the one who corrupted Mishra. He's the one who's the general of this army, sort of the shieldred of, of the ancient times. And uh, this is his card. The art's really cool. And it's an interesting card, like giving everything saboteur. Mm-hmm. I don't think is something I've seen before because the ability... Like, it's so powerful that people build entire decks around uh, playing, you know, playing an aura that gives a creature that. So it, I don't know if this is good. Yeah. Because <laughs> the ability is so weird. But, like, it's powerful to give all of your creatures, uh, like, curiosity. Mm-hmm. And I know you pay a life, you, you, you lose a life, but I love that there's the option, too. You don't. It's not like you draw a card and you lose one life, which usually black cards would say that. This is like, it's up to you. You, you can make that trade if you want. Yeah. Which I like. I, yeah. I like the idea of playing like one or two of these with some uh, like Kaitos and any other little. Uh, um, oh, yeah. Like Thopters and stuff. Ninja yeah. Tarion. So, because then you can. Or, yeah, right into Sahili mm-hmm. and a Grixis deck, and then you get the two Thopters. They get haste, and draw two, two cards. Yeah. That all sounds really exciting. Um, going three drop black black into blue red sounds hard, but um, I like. Yeah, we have some stuff. We're we're fine. I don't know. Nathan Stoyer played a Grixis deck that played a quadruple black card. That's true. Yeah, but the only Grixis <laughs> anyway. It doesn't matter. But um, yeah, uh, yeah. I think the man is there. That's yeah, all yeah. I'm saying. It's it, this seems like a pretty sweet mythic, and I, you. I was literally talking about Phyrexian, so you brought a, up a Praetor, but um, of course, yeah. <laughs> I uh, I like this one. I mean, it's it's difficult because I guess you can just play do the ultimate at, or ultimate do its big ability at any point, but it just looks like. It, it looks like it's just not going to get there. I just, I want it to, but it's too splashy and too, uh... Oh, the big ability is, like, this is such a weird thing. part of the card. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, seven mana discard X cards. Like, in the very, very late game, I can, like, loot away bad cards for seven mana 
and steal from my opponent's deck instead. Yeah. Uh, like, I guess you... It's cool that you don't have to pay the cost, so you just do this, right? You pay the seven. It's it's interesting, but yeah, it's probably not that good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Feels like more of a commander thing. Probably, yeah. It is legendary. Because so. it's like target opponent and all that. Well, usually commander cards want to say each opponent, but yeah. Yeah, I just being like... Uh, I think the card could be good in standard. I just don't. This ability thing feels like something that will only really only commander players will actually really do. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. I um, really like the art. Though. Yeah, it's a cool card. Art is sweet, uh, especially all the followers looking up at this crazy thing coming out of this portal. Um, <laughs> and random side note: I'm just like super excited to see what Eleshnorn's new card is in the next uh, in the set. next set. <laughs> it's it's finally it's gonna it's gonna come it's gonna be the last one it's been a very long time um better be better than shieldred so i'm saying (laughs) shieldred's good (laughs) but elish norn is better right yeah it should be better yes so like it always bugs me when like the the top dog has like a crap card and then one of the other praetors has the clearly the best card you know that's uh well that has a lot of there's a lot of other stuff that's going on with that at that time but uh anyway we will probably talk about that on another day. That's probably whenever that card comes out. Yeah. Um, but for now, <laughs> let's go to Last Call. We're going to talk a lot about Brothers War spoilers in the weeks to come. Um, actually, uh, this is a good point to say that uh, we're going to take a little hiatus. <laughs> I'm going to be working for a bit, so there's going to be some episodes that won't come out. So whenever this... What Zach meant is that we're going to talk about Brothers War spoilers, but we're not going to record our talks about that. Yeah, so. Well, I'm going to be talking about it, but you have to be in our Discord channel to hear it. So That's right. go to the Discord because I post things all the time. Um, anyway, Jeff, last call. We got to rate these beers. Before we do that, let's talk about a rating yes. system. As always, we rate our beers on a scale of bronze to mythic, just like the tiers in Arena. This has nothing to do with which tier you are in at this time. Everybody's in a different tier. I think we just reset. So, hey, I'm probably bronze right now. Um, it is what it is, baby. Um, but uh, with that being said, bronze beers are trash. They are terrible. They're the bottom of the barrel. You really avoid them. And we've never rated a beer bronze on the show. So that's how bad they are. Uh, Yeah, silver beers are basically just like not interesting. Macro brews find themselves in this category. Gold beers are fine. There are a lot of craft beers that you're like, eh, eh," uh, and don't really want to try again. Yeah, platinum are solid. You drink them again. Diamond beers are exceptional. These are ones that you love and you bring to parties and you share with guests. And Mythic, of course, these are the best of the best. These are the beers competing at the World Championship for your favorite beer. And you'd recommend these to anyone who will listen. That's right. All right, Jeff, do you have your favorite beer of the night? I think so, actually. I think so. All right. Uh, Here we go. Three, two, one. Chocolate, Chocolate Daddy. Daddy. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was a close race, but uh, mm-hmm. not in a good way. Um, <laughs> for me, I don't know about you, but uh, I was very underwhelmed by both of these beers uh, and a little sad. I was trying to think of a way to say it. Mm-hmm. Like, underwhelmed is probably the right word because I don't think they were bad. Yeah. Um, I mean, Jeff, I know... I think it's just like a chocolate stout with cold brew. 
I get pumped, mm-hmm. you know, and then um, it did not meet that level of hype. No, this thing. <laughs> so let's talk about let's talk about Rainmaker that we just had first, uh, okay. so that we can kind of so, say our grievances. It's funny. It's like if the beers were good, we'll talk about the winner first. But if the beers are not that good, we talk about the loser first. That's yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, second wedge on the chopping block again. Um, this one, Rainmaker, uh, I was hoping for something better and, uh, I don't know, it has flavor and notes and it has the espresso. There's a little bit of dark something, but I don't know what, for whatever reason, when there's like a chocolate, something I'm, I'm, I'm wanting a little bit more silkiness and I don't know if I just want more oatmeal in it or any oatmeal in it or something. Uh, to make it feel mm-hmm. a little bit like bigger or thicker or have a little bit more of that s- sweetness, but totally. And I, I think it's again, expectation management. They describe it as award winning. Mm-hmm. I wanted more body personally. Yeah, more like, body. Oatmeal's just like you're talking about would be great. Like just even, even just oats, mm-hmm. just put oats in the grain bill. Um, yeah. Like I get a little bit of the dark chocolate, a little bit of the espresso, Sure, but then uh, you get that up front, and then it's just boring mm-hmm. after that. I'm like, I really wish this word was fuller. Yeah, yeah, fuller. Like you're saying, it's just it's it's thin. It's thin. Yeah, thin like rain. That's what it feels like. Um, good job, Rainmaker. Mm-hmm. You made me <laughs> cry tears. And I really like porters, and mm-hmm. that's the thing I tend to like about porters is that they have that like body. full beer body. Mm-hmm. And still use the, you know, the chocolate or the espresso as, as the bittering agent. That, yeah. You know, our bitter flavors that we're more used to. I wanted this to be like a four or five, but it was like a, a two one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like a three one, two one or a three one, right? Where it's like, mm-hmm. it's all up front, but it's just, it just goes it's, down so easily. Yeah, it gets like, knocked over. It dies too easily. Yeah. You know? I want something. have enough, uh. I want something sturdiness. honkin' chonkin'. Um, so sad this porter right. just didn't make it. Um, I, I specifically said four or five because of Shieldred, but whatever. Um, anyway. <laughs> yeah, oh, I know. Oh, I know. Good, good, good. <laughs> um, with that, this is gold. I mean, uh, I'm not, I'm not yeah. going to rate it lower because it isn't just like nothing. And I'm, I'm, I'm not mad that it's a beer at all. Um but uh, I, I think that they have some ways to go. Uh, I'm definitely not going to tell anyone to go out of their way. Yeah, this one. To drink this. It's definitely gold. And that's what I meant earlier when I was like, they're not bad, mm-hmm. right? But yeah, yeah gold. gold. It's gold. Uh, speaking of gold, let's talk about this chocolate daddy with this gold chain on it, huh? Pretty nice. <laughs> yeah, so this one, it had different issues for me. Um but I liked the shot they were taking here. I like, okay, we have a cold brew. We're throwing in some, like, dark chocolate notes. Get that, like, mocha thing going. It's mm-hmm. big. It's 7.5%. And I think that's what led me to choosing that as the winner. I just feel like it It just didn't really work in the end is why I think it mm-hmm. wasn't that good. Yeah. Um, like, it just, at the end of the day... When I was halfway through drinking it, I was kind of just like, eh, like, mm-hmm. 
not loving this. You know what I mean? And I don't know if it's, there's a particular technical flaw I can point to where I'm like, oh, it wasn't full enough, like with this one. I don't know if that's true. Um, the, the flavors it said it would have, it had in some capacity. I just didn't really... Maybe the balance is off then, but it just, I don't know, I didn't, just didn't taste that good. The balance is for sure off because this tasted almost exactly just like cold brew to me, which I love cold brew, so that was nice. Um, but it, I think it had yeah. a, a similar problem to the Rainmaker where it felt thin, but if I was going into this thinking it was like a cold brew beer, more so than chocolate, I would be like, okay, yeah, that's exactly what they were saying. Um, but yeah, once again, uh, expectation management. Um, but it, I, again, it feels gold. I, I wanted it to be bigger. Yeah. I was thinking that this was going to be the Halloween episode with like chocolate candies and, uh, <laughs> nothing even close to that. So, yeah, I think it's misnamed because mm-hmm. it tastes more like coffee than like chocolate. And then it's called it tastes, chocolate daddy. Yeah. It tastes like really good coffee. Um, but sure. Not, <laughs> not, not doing it. Where Sorry guys. Wow. So weird. I was really, I, I also could be that of the beers. I was like, Oh, these gotta be the good ones. And the fact that they aren't makes me, maybe it makes me excited for the other beers we have to try by them to see, Hey, maybe those are uh, going to be really great actually compared to these. So interesting. We'll see. Hopefully they're not worse. <laughs> Battle of the Bronzes. Yeah, oof, we might get there, but uh, <laughs> anyway, golds all around. Never that, like that's the dream. One day have a double bronze episode. Ooh, is that the dream? That sounds fucking terrible. That sounds like we're gonna not drink anything. <laughs> that's when the show is gets canceled. Yeah, just <laughs> good. <laughs> all right, Jeff. Let's go to closing time. Let's do it. You could always reach us at Arena Regulars on Twitter and Instagram. You may also find us on MTG Arena itself, practicing for a Pioneer event by playing Explorer. We'll be under the username Arena Regulars Podcast. If you want to talk to me personally, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Zulberg. That is Z-E-U-L-B-E-R-G. But Jeff, where can they find you? I have Twitter. It's at BluesBrewsMTG. But the best place to contact me is on the Arena Regulars Discord. Once again, the link is in the show notes. Also, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts on iTunes. Follow us on Spotify and any place that you're listening to us right now. Just subscribe to our YouTube channel. Any place that you type in Arena Regulars, go subscribe, give us a like, leave a comment, go to our Discord. Uh, we love to hear your feedback. We had some great feedback today, uh, and uh, it really helps us shape the show to be exactly what you want it to be. This has been the Arena Regulars. Reminding you that if you're drafting an MTG fantasy team, you should probably consider picking Nathan Stoyer, because that guy wins a lot. Good night. All right, that's fine.